In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Most Merciful, dear brothers and sisters, we heartily congratulate you on such a significant event as the release of the Call of Mahdi video. People often wonder what is the meaning of my existence, what is it for? Well, since I was born, since I'm here, it means that I'm needed for something. And what is my mission? Well, your mission, my friend, is exactly to return home, and home is one for all. What does it mean, the lotus of the utmost boundary? That Islam should be all over the world, but Islam, not as name, or as rights, but as the essence. Certainly, as God's love. This event is important not only for Muslims of the entire world, but also for all people who today feel that something is wrong with this world, that there is too much injustice, that it shouldn't be like this, that people live far from righteous life. People offend each other, bring suffering and grief to one another. But after all, the Almighty has created us for a different purpose. And the call of Mahdi, which sounds all over the world today, it really inspires. It helps us believe that we can overcome everything. This call is a call for all those who suffer, for all those who strive to learn love of Allah the Almighty in themselves and to live by this love, for all those who are ready, who seek the truth and are ready to accept it, for all those who want to be alive, truly alive. This call, the call of Mahdi, which is addressed to all people today, people of goodwill, people who are willing and striving to change life for the better, the life of everyone, not only their own, but on the entire planet. Actually, all of us have one Creator. And Mahdi is tirelessly talking about this in all the videos. And if we have one Creator, then what do we divide among ourselves? While for Muslims, Muslims all over the world, the call of Mahdi has a special meaning, because the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, left a lot of clues, he left a lot of legends telling that Mahdi would come, and that righteous Muslims are obliged to unite around his banner to help Mahdi and bring the truth to all people on earth. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, we congratulate you on this joyful event, on this most significant event of our time. It's a historical moment, 
the moment from which a lot of things begin. And today, much depends precisely on how sincerely Muslims all over the world will act in relation to such a landmark event. Tremendous responsibility rests on Muslims of the entire world today, because Islam is the youngest religion. And, as we know, thanks to what Imam Mahdi is talking about, we know that today Islam contains the greatest potential for unification of the whole humanity. Why? First of all, as we have already said, this religion is the youngest one. So Iblis and his slaves haven't had enough time, let's say, to replace and distort it completely. Although, for justice sake, it should be stated that grains of knowledge have been preserved in all religions. In fact, should there be no grains, people wouldn't join these religions. Yet, going back to Islam, I would like to emphasize that a lot of grains of the truth have been indeed preserved in Islam. And thanks to that, it has a tremendous potential, a potential for Islam to be all over the world. Islam as a religion of love and brotherhood, brotherhood for entire humanity, not only for some separate peoples, but really for entire humanity. Since Islam was given for entire humanity. That is why Imam Mahdi is tirelessly saying that Islam should be all over the world. Among the positive points, which still remain in Islam, we can name the fact that even despite some, so to say, frivolous attitude to their Imams and to their faith, today the majority of Muslims still have a clear understanding that alcohol and drugs are unacceptable for a human being. While this, as we know, is one of the strongest weapons of the enemy of humankind in this war which he is waging against all people. It's a weapon that turns a human into an animal. Hence the fact that in their life most Muslims tolerate for themselves neither alcohol nor drugs, this is one of the most important points. Moreover, such a point should be noted that, despite various interdenominational disputes and conflicts, despite these constant showdowns between Shia, Sunni and so on, between all other branches, still within every given madhab, within every given branch, madhab and so on, a certain cordiality of relations is preserved. It's a very important point, let's just say. This point, provided that these people accept the knowledge brought by Mahdi, and provided that these people unite around his banner, around the banner of the truth, around Mahdi's banner, it is one of the most important and potentially powerful points, relying on which the Islamic Ummah can potentially become an example for entire humanity, an example of true consolidation.
and real brotherhood, not in words, not in some resolutions or tribune speeches, but actually in real life. And precisely such Islam united Islam, whole Islam which is integrated by the faith in one Creator. Such Islam can become that very example for the rest of humanity, which will help entire humankind to unite in one family, as it was originally planned by the Creator. And certainly the most significant, the most joyful, the most inspiring event is Mahdi's message to all people and the knowledge which Mahdi has brought. This is the most important event for all people, not just for Muslims, but for all people who want to change their life for the better, who want to live humanly. This event and the knowledge that Mahdi has given brings salvation to all of humanity. This knowledge reveals Islam in its genuine depth, beauty and wisdom. Thanks to that, subject to the acceptance and application of this knowledge in everyday life, every Muslim gains a chance to become such a Muslim as Allah's Messenger Himself, peace be upon Him, and His closest associates were. This is pure Islam in its original, virgin beauty and purity. This also relates to all religions, the basis of which Mahdi is giving in its purity. He shares this with people according to the will of Allah the Almighty. And it's the mercy of Allah for all of us that, fulfilling His will, Mahdi is tirelessly addressing us again and again in all the videos and in the books. It is truly our chance, a chance to unite. It's more than a real chance. No matter how it may seem to us today as a fairy tale, if we take into account the harsh realities of today, when almost the entire world is embraced with war. But the knowledge that Mahdi gives, if people accept it, will help us look at each other not through the gun sight, but with the eyes full of brotherly love, mutual understanding, trust, fraternity and harmony. It's a chance for everyone, for all righteous people, or at least for people who strive for such a life, the good and righteous one, regardless of where they are and what they do. That is why we repeat that in this matter, the matter of uniting all mankind, a special mission today is entrusted precisely to the Muslim Ummah, which is simply obliged to become an example for entire humanity, to unite, to show the true Islam, unified Islam, such Islam as it was in the times of Allah's Messenger, peace be upon him. However, along with these positive aspects, there are also problematic, tentatively speaking, negative aspects, our weaknesses, the presence of which allows Iblis today to achieve what he has achieved. 
So today, we would like to share those insights with you, which we have gained thanks to the knowledge shared by Mahdi with the entire humanity. These insights reveal the essence of the tools of Iblis, first and foremost, in our heads, and exactly the way he acts and divides. After all, having understood his fighting style, we have a chance to be prepared for it. Thus, his actions will no longer be unexpected for us and will be able to make the right decisions. As a matter of fact, having understood the way your opponent is acting, you gain a chance to gain a victory. In the first place, there is precisely a distorted, deliberately distorted interpretation of such concepts as heaven and hell, which today have led to the point that most people on the planet don't have a clear understanding of what it is, and moreover, they don't have a serious attitude towards these concepts, while everything that is mentioned in all the Holy Scriptures, in particular in the Quran, for a modern person who, thanks to Google, because of these gadgets and so on, considers himself to be somewhat advanced and knowledgeable. So, for such a person, these interpretations seem to be fairy tales. Yet, if for a person the reason he comes into religion seems to be a fairy tale or a fable, his attitude towards it won't be serious. I mean his attitude, first and foremost, towards his faith, towards his religious and spiritual development, self-development, and towards his work on himself, on eradication of everything negative in himself. This work, spiritual work on himself, won't be serious unless a person clearly understands and knows his goal. What is the true purpose of every religion? In this case, by religion, we mean not an institution of power and control, but religion in the meaning of purity, in the meaning of the teaching which was given by the prophets. In this understanding, absolutely every religion is a means by which a person can achieve the true meaning of his life, that is, to reach heaven, and first and foremost, the person himself needs it. This is explicitly stated in the Holy Quran. In Surah 29, Al-Ankabut, the Spider, Ayat 6, it is said that whoever strives, only strives for the benefit of himself. Indeed, Allah is free from need of the worlds. Allah the Almighty is free from the need of anything. This salvation, attainment of heaven is necessary, first and foremost, for a person himself. If a person doesn't achieve this goal, it means he has lived his life absolutely in vain, no matter what heights of earthly life he reached. Yet, what has Iblis done? He removed a clear understanding of all religions and all the scriptures, a clear understanding of what heaven is and what hell is. And thus he has achieved a situation when most people today, even those who consider themselves believers and observe certain rites, don't have a clear understanding, an inner understanding. What is being said today? That in the end, there will be a general judgment where the destiny of everyone will be determined, even of those who already died. They will all be resurrected in the body, said that, 
and everything will be decided at this judgment. But let's look at this from a slightly different perspective. If a person is being told that his destiny will be determined at some kind of general judgment, which will take place in the future, how will he treat his daily religious duties? Again, even if he performs them with all the rigor and thoroughness, but without inner understanding, what kind of understanding will it be? A person will still subconsciously slack. Why will he slack? Because subconsciously he already has this directive that he still has time. This judgment will take place sometime in the future, still unknown when it will be. Moreover, nowadays, particularly in Islam, there is such a directive which says that some of the Muslims, even if they get into hell, still have a chance after a while. Well, roughly speaking, haven't got roasted a little there. After a while, they acquire a chance to get to heaven. However, this is not just a blatant lie, but it's a skillful and insidious move, thanks to which Iblis fools a lot of people. Even fools is probably a too gentle word, for he is actually killing them. He is killing, depriving them of a chance to attain eternal life. And this is very serious, because a human being has only one chance, and those who get into hell have no chances anymore. In one of his sermons, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, Always remember the two great ones, heaven and hell. Then he burst out crying so that tears started running along the sides of his beard. And he added, Janna and hellfire were shown to me, and I have never seen the like of this day, in good and in evil. If you were to know what I know, you would laugh little and weep much. This hadith actually has a very deep meaning. It totally reveals how serious a Muslim's attitude towards the very concept of heaven and hell should be. And before we proceed to the descriptions of heaven and hell, we believe it is very important to note that the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, said the truth. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was the greatest among the Prophets, as Mahdi precisely says in one of the videos. Hence, this person could not be mistaken in his prophecies, in what he was preaching, in what he was conveying to people. However, the way people have distorted this, and the way Iblis is interpreting the same ayat and the same hadith precisely in people's heads, is exactly what causes a frivolous attitude towards these ayat and these descriptions of heaven and hell. Let's repeat. The point is not how the Prophet was telling this, but that Iblis is distorting it. The Prophet was telling the truth. The Prophet of Allah the Almighty cannot tell lies. The Prophet conveys the truth only. And today, 
It is present both in the Quran and in the Hadith, and this is confirmed by the primordial knowledge brought by Mahdi. But due to distortions, due to the lies that Iblis brought into Islam, people today don't have a serious attitude to these descriptions. For example, let's take such a description which says that boys of everlasting youth will look after the righteous men who are lying all day long and just eating. Their wives are virgins. For some reason, they are virgins again every day. And there are these boys who, so to say, serve those men, and they drink wine there, which causes no headache and even makes a person feel good. Let's ask ourselves a simple question. What kind of heaven is it where there is exploitation? Especially exploitation of children's labor. Is it really possible? In a place where absolute, supreme justice and supreme harmony reign, is it really possible that some people work while others don't? What kind of heaven is it if someone is forced to work for someone else? We would like to clarify this because, again, the point is not that there's a lie in these words, not at all, but the point is that these are merely allegorical attempts to convey the essence of that state which a person experiences after reaching heaven, while Iblis already interferes in these interpretations, and precisely in people's minds, not here in the Quran, but in people's minds in the first place. He makes people start doubting. He whispers to them, how can this be? It's impossible. What kind of fairy tales? What kind of fables are these? No, let's better do something more serious. And he leads a person astray. He forces a person, or rather, doesn't force, but offers a person to start doubting. Because for a modern human, these descriptions are, to put it mildly, improbable. However, the point is that, certainly in heaven, there are neither virgin wives nor these miserable boys who work for these spongers all day long. But the point is that, in heaven, there is no body as such. And in heaven, there is no gender division. There are angels in heaven, while an angel is an asexual being. Thus, a person who reaches heaven already becomes an angel. He becomes a part of the spiritual world, meaning he becomes a spirit, while the spirit has no gender. Gender differences exist only here. In the Hadith, it is mentioned that the people of Paradise will neither have differences nor hatred amongst themselves. Their hearts will be as if one heart, and they will be glorifying Allah in the morning and in the evening. This is very close to what Imam Mahdi is saying in all the videos. This is life that embodies the highest degree of freedom. After all, heaven is exactly freedom. 
the supreme freedom and true freedom. And this is precisely true life. It's no coincidence that in one of the hadith, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, O Allah, there is no true life, but the life of the hereafter. Thus, he actually indicates that our temporary existence in this world, in these bodies, cannot be considered a true life, because this is merely a temporary sojourn intended for a human to gain true life, life in heaven, life in the world of Allah the Almighty, in the spiritual world. And again, regarding the body, even if we take the very idea of the Last Judgment, it also implies that people will resurrect in their bodies. While this is also quite a gross and very, so to say, insidious substitution that makes a person believe that he is this body. Yet, what is the body if not ringing clay, as it is called in the Quran? After all, it is mere dust. It's a cocoon in which the spirit should mature and return to its creator. Going back to the descriptions of heaven, let's repeat that those were only associative examples, allegorical examples, that could give a person at least a rough understanding of what is awaiting him in heaven. Imagine a following situation. Nomads of that time, for whom women and wine were the greatest pleasures of life, say to the Messenger of Allah, O Messenger of Allah, we are ready to adopt Islam, we are ready to follow what you are calling for. But what is awaiting us? What is our reward? For this very reason, the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, trying to explain to people the superior enjoyment, which becomes a reward for the one who faithfully serves Allah the Almighty, who lives a righteous life, does good deeds, lives a pure life. For such a person, heaven becomes a reward. Yet, what is heaven? And how can this be explained to a person for whom wine and women are the greatest delights? That is why the Prophet precisely said that you will have 72 women there and nobody touched them except yourselves, and they will be virgins every day, while the wine that you'll be drinking there won't cause you any suffering, unlike the earthly wine, of which you have headache in the morning. This is what was said, but not that there is actually wine in heaven. For there is a hadith where Allah's Messenger, conveying the words of Allah the Almighty, mentions that Allah the Almighty said, I have prepared for my pious servants that which no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and no human heart has ever perceived those bounties. As a matter of fact, it is literally stated that with his conceptual apparatus, a human cannot even imagine everything that is in heaven. By the way, this is very close to what Issa said. Namely, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart has imagined what God prepared for those 
who love him. In fact, from what is in heaven, in this earthly life there is only a name and an attempt to somehow explain it, to enclose it with verbal formulas. In addition to the Hadith, this is also stated in the Quran. For instance, in Surah 32, Ayat 17, it is said that no person knows what delights of the eye are kept hidden in reserve for them as a reward for their good deeds. As a matter of fact, it is meant that a person cannot imagine even approximately that superior enjoyment, that highest happiness, which exists in heaven which there is in heaven. Or, for example, in Surah 41, Ayat 31, it is said, There you will have whatever you ask for. Thus, it is actually being said that a person will have neither worries, nor problems, nor suffering there, but only enjoyment. This is also mentioned in the Quran. In Surah 36, Ayat 55, it is said that indeed on that day the residents of Paradise will be busy enjoying themselves. Thus, it is actually said that a person will have no worries, especially material ones, since there will be no body. Body needs to be taken care for, and so on and so forth. Certainly, it's no problem for Allah the Almighty to create a body that would live forever. As it is repeatedly said in the Quran, when Allah decrees a matter, He only says to it, Be. And it is. However, if there was anything like that, it would probably be the most painful punishment. An eternal body basically means endless concerns, problems, and so on while the spirit the spirit means freedom in fact this myth regarding the last judgment where everyone will be resurrected in their bodies and where everything will be resolved it is beneficial to those who treat religion as business meaning to those who are managers in these religious corporations and for whom people are nothing but a means to attain profits or power. It's beneficial for them that people postpone their spiritual self-development for this indefinite later. It's beneficial for them when people, being afraid of this judgment, fulfill everything that these managers tell them. It's difficult to call them otherwise. It's difficult to call them God's servants. And we are certainly not talking about all of them. Of course, there are people who serve the Almighty righteously and sincerely. Whereas now we are speaking of those who use these misunderstandings and incorrect interpretations in order to keep people in fear, in order to keep people in ignorance. Regarding those managers, there are quite succinct and intelligible statements in the Quran. For example, in Surah 2, Al-Baqarah, the cow, Ayat 9, 10, 11 and 12, it is said very clearly about them. Or, for example, in Surah 23, Ayat 52 and 53, it is said that your religion is one religion, and I am your Lord, 
so keep your duty unto me. But they have broken their religion among them into sects, each sect rejoicing in its tenets. We mention these people not in order to somehow contrast ourselves with them or to condemn them, and so on. No, not at all. These are really deceived people, people deceived by Iblis, for whom the amenities of this world, power, wealth, and so on, are above sincere service to Allah the Almighty. That is why our goal is not to condemn them in any way, judge them, and so on. No, we have mentioned them just to clarify such a point that only the one who follows what Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, taught, may consider oneself a Muslim. A person who lives by what these managers are teaching him, who obeys these managers in everything, follows their instructions and their will, this person cannot consider himself a Muslim. He has no moral right for that. If a person stands next to those against whom Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, fought, what right does he have to call himself a Muslim? After all, he was fighting precisely against these hypocrites and scribes, and basically all prophets were fighting against them. Therefore, a true Muslim is the one who follows the example of the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, for whom Islam is not just ceremonies, but it is exactly that inner life which takes place in one's heart. Regarding those managers from religion, we would like to highlight one more point, a very important point. It's the fact that some people, looking at such representatives of religion, are moving away from religion. They look at such people, and at this moment, Iblis starts whispering to them, how will you adopt Islam if just look at its representatives, look at how they behave, they call for peace, for good, while they themselves are very aggressive. They call for moderation, but look at them, how greedy they are, how much they seek benefits of this world, and so on and so forth. But the point is that it's exactly Iblis who is whispering. And the point is that it's not the fault of Islam that some people who preach it don't comply with Islam themselves and don't know what true Islam is. By no means is Islam to blame for the fact that these people haven't grasped its essence. Islam is a great teaching about love and brotherhood, about brotherhood among all people. It's a great teaching that leads a human to reconciliation with Allah the Almighty within oneself, in one's own heart. Islam is the path 
to Allah the Almighty. Therefore, for those people who are, let's say, being guided by what Iblis is whispering to them, and they don't accept Islam for them, we would like to say that they are accepting Islam not for someone else, but only for their own sake. And they come to Islam, in fact, not to serve those managers, but to serve Allah the Almighty. And a person himself needs this. Everything that we've told about the descriptions of heaven equally applies to the descriptions of hell. Everything that is said about hell in Islam has a purely allegorical, associative character. It's essentially an attempt, through understandable allegories on some life examples, everyday examples, an attempt to give a person an idea of how terrible his state will be if he lives an unrighteous life, lives by the dictates of his nafs, his ego, basically by what Iblis seduces him with. After all, Iblis only seduces, while a person himself commits all the sins. This is his choice, while the right to choose is given by Allah the Almighty, and no one is entitled to encroach on this right. Iblis only seduces, and this is a very important point, so that a person understands that he himself will be responsible for his deeds. All the crimes, all the atrocities that are taking place across the world today, who commits them? After all, people themselves commit them. And only people themselves, by their choice, can put an end to this. Especially today, when there is such a unique opportunity. Going back to those very descriptions of hell, to those colorful descriptions. The purpose of all these descriptions is to give a person a rough understanding of what will await him for his unrighteous life. In the Quran, in Surah 10, Ayat 27, it is said, But they who have earned blame for evil doings, the recompense of an evil deed is its equivalent, and humiliation will cover them. They will have from Allah no protector. Those are the companions of the fire. They will abide therein eternally. Thus, it is literally said that for an evil, unrighteous life, there will be a punishment, and no one will help, and no one will save. Yet, all these descriptions, we repeat, they were given not in order to scare a person, but in order for him to have an understanding. After all, Allah the Almighty doesn't want people to go to hell. They go there by their choice. That's why in this case, through such allegories and associative concepts, the spiritual world has tried not to scare people, but to be honest, to warn honestly about what will await a person for his or her wrong choice. This shows justice and mercy of Allah the Almighty for all people, since He doesn't keep them in ignorance regarding what will await people for their deeds. On the contrary, he describes what will be the gain of those who lived righteously 
and what awaits those who lived unrighteously. Therefore, in the Hadith, which we've mentioned in the beginning, it is said that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, urged people to always remember the two great ones. It's also a reflection of this very attitude of the spiritual world towards a human being, its merciful and gracious attitude, which fairly and honestly warns a person that if during this lifetime he lives in love and gratitude to Allah the Almighty, and first and foremost, inner love, sincere gratitude, not for show, not for someone, but precisely within himself, in his heart, this person becomes a part of the spiritual world, and his reward is heaven. If you've been living by the Spirit, you become a part of the spiritual world. Whereas if a person has preferred the worldly, in the Quran it is said regarding this, that the tree of Zakum will be the food for sinners, and the fruits of this tree are like shaitan's heads, while shaitans, in this case, are exactly thoughts, the thoughts of selfishness, narcissism, self-praising before other people, hatred, envy and aggression. All this is instilled into a human by Iblis. It's also very important for a human to have a clear understanding that sins are not only what we commit wrong in the external world, but sins are also considered, or rather are, the evil thoughts that a person accepts with delight. Thoughts of aggression towards someone, thoughts of hatred, envy, and so on. If a person, so to say, relishes such thoughts, he enjoys them, he reproduces them in his head all day long, and he likes that. This is precisely a service to Iblis. This is actually slavery. Servitude to Iblis who conceals the truth from a person with these thoughts. The truth which, first and foremost, is in the fact that actually a person doesn't need these thoughts. A person doesn't need to judge anyone, to hate anyone, or to manifest aggression towards anyone. This only makes him unhappy, while happiness is in something different. Happiness is in this love for the Almighty in gratitude towards him, which exactly results in a brotherly attitude towards all people. For if a person doesn't love Allah the Almighty, he won't love other people either. This is beautifully described in the Gospel, where it is said that anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. As a matter of fact, this verbal formula precisely reflects the state of a person when he doesn't have a clear understanding, detailed 
very simple and clear information about the soul, the spirit, and the human energy structure can be found in the book Alatra. While here, we will briefly convey the basis, relying on which we'll be able to move further. So, the most important element in the human energy structure is the soul. Everything is built precisely around it. The soul is placed into the human energy structure on the eighth day after the birth of one's body. And exactly the soul forms what is called human personality, which is exactly what a human being really is. After all, a human is not a body. A body is just a case, a garment, a cocoon in which a spiritual fetus is maturing. Once the fetus has matured, the ringing clay, as a human body is referred to in the Quran, returns into the earth. What is created from dust will return to dust, whereas spirit returns to the spirit. If we express this allegorically, a butterfly matures in a cocoon and flies up into the sky, while the cocoon remains on earth. The process of body conception and the process of conception of life eternal are very similar. Just like a spermatozoan, our spirit must reach the egg cell, meaning the soul, and then eternal life is generated. However, on the spirit's way, there stands consciousness, nafs, that is shaitan, which can neither be bypassed nor jumped over, but it is possible to pass through it by rejecting its temptations. Let's go back to the process of the energy structure formation. Along with the process of conception of the spirit, that is, of personality, consciousness is formed within the energy structure as well. Simply put, the soul and the spirit are the spiritual nature of a human. These are particles of the spiritual world in him. Whereas consciousness, nafs, is the animal nature, a particle of the animal mind system, meaning of Iblis. Hence, if during a prevailing part of his life, a person has been giving his attention to his spiritual component, cultivating the feeling of love and gratitude to Allah the Almighty, then he becomes a dweller of heaven. To put it simply, if he's been living by the Spirit, he becomes a part of the spiritual world. However, if a person has been paying more attention to the animal component, that is, to his nafs, to his whims and desires, meaning to animal instincts, then the following occurs. Not having attained fusion with the soul, his personality becomes a sub-personality, that is, it gets into hell. This happens as follows. Together with consciousness, personality envelopes the soul like a soap bubble. And this sub-personality, like a parasite stuck to the soul, goes to reincarnation. Thus, the soul is placed into a new body of a totally different person we emphasize of a totally different person who bears no relation to the sub-personality. It may be a body of a different nationality, religious affiliation and even gender. We emphasize that only one chance is given and a person has this chance for as long as he lives in a body. Once personality becomes sub-personality, it has no more chances for salvation. 
That's why it is so important for a person to do his utmost during this lifetime in order to become free and reach heaven. A question may arise. How does a subpersonality feel pain if it no longer has a body and it is basically an energy and information clod? This may be explained through an example of phantom pain, when there are no limbs, for instance an arm or a leg, but pain is still felt. Moreover, this may be explained by those who had a stroke. When a person cannot move, yet he feels everything – pain, suffering, emotions, depression, and so on. Whatever a person cultivated in oneself will multiply beyond the threshold. And there is another point. Subpersonality is basically compressed by the powerful energy sources from two sides, which is actually described in the Quran as the torment of the blazing fire that approaches a person from all sides. Figuratively speaking, subpersonality becomes sort of a pellicle that envelopes the soul. It is squeezed between the soul on one side and prana, meaning vital energy of a new body, on the other side. It is that very inexpressibly terrible state of suffering from the blazing fire which is described in the Quran so vividly. This happens approximately the way it is shown on the screen. Thus, more than 14 centuries ago, such a detailed description of this process was given in the Quran. In Surah 4, Ayat 56, it is said, Surely, those who disbelieve in our signs, we shall certainly roast them at fire. As often as their skins are thoroughly burned, we shall give them in exchange other skins, so that they taste the torment. Surely, God is Almighty all-wise. And let's repeat, hell is not some place where sinners hang out together. Hell is rather a solitary prison cell for many centuries. And if upon subsequent reincarnation of a new personality, the spirit has not merged with the soul, that is, a person hasn't got into heaven, then a new sub-personality also envelopes the soul having no contact with the previous subpersonality at all. Subpersonality, or the state of hell, is a state of solitary imprisonment for a long time, where the former personality is accompanied by the whole complex of negativity which it has accumulated during its lifetime. To put it simply, all bad sinful thoughts, words, deeds and emotions remain with the subpersonality. Moreover, they intensify, turning into inexpressibly agonizing torment. Every next subpersonality is an obstacle on the way of a new personality to the spiritual world. The more of them emerge, the harder it is for personality to break through towards the soul. They are like ink on a light bulb, which covers the light coming from the bulb. In the same way, subpersonality covers the light emanating from the soul towards the new personality, thus complicating its way to the light of the soul. And if among subpersonalities there is at least a single strong one, for example a person who engaged in magic during the life of his body, such subpersonality also strives to seize power over the new personality, 
meaning to suppress it. This may particularly happen at an early age, and such phenomena are usually manifested either as a child's unnatural aggression or as unchildish wisdom. And if an influence of third forces or genies, as they are called in Islam, is added to such manifestations, by the way, these forces are discussed in more detail in the Ezoosmos book and in the videos The Invisible World and Suicide, The After-Death Fate. So, if such influences are also added to the influence of the person's own nafs and its desire to suppress personality, then it becomes much more difficult for the person to attain his or her main goal, meaning heaven. But the more difficult is the fight, the more well-deserved is the victory. This process, as well as suffering of all sub-personalities, will continue until there appears a personality that achieves fusion with the soul. Then all sub-personalities are annihilated. Simply put, they cease to exist, because personality, meaning the spirit, while attaining fusion with the soul, turns into a new being, an angel, and enters heaven, the spiritual world. This is the first of the two possible options – termination of subpersonality's suffering, while the second option is the last judgment – the Judgment Day. It's when all alive ones go to heaven, whereas dead ones are exterminated, for example in a flood. Then all souls return to their Creator. We emphasize only souls, while people who haven't achieved fusion with their soul, that is, subpersonalities, are sort of parasites on the soul. But when souls return to the Creator, all parasites are cleaned from them, meaning everything dead is annihilated, to put it simply, erased and the souls return in their purity. In the Holy Scriptures, this process is embodied in the concept of the second death. It is when subpersonalities perish once and for all, meaning cease to exist, in which there is also a manifestation of the mercy of Allah the Almighty, who eventually terminates this suffering. However, this is not liberation. This is complete annihilation. That's why, dear viewers, it is so important for a human being, within the time span into which they come and after which they leave with weeping, to have time to do the main thing, to attain eternity. This time span, which a person calls and considers to be life, is actually just a period for the person's choice. And depending on the choice, his after-death destiny is formed either eternal bliss or long-lasting suffering. In this world, there are only two forces, two wills, the will of Allah the Almighty and the desire which originates from Iblis to belittle a human before God. Allah the Almighty has given a human the sacred right of choice. It's the choice that no one may encroach upon, for it is given by Allah the Almighty the Lord and Creator of everything. A person may only choose. He either lives by Allah's will, meaning he lives righteously and nobly, or he lives by desires of Iblis, meaning unrighteously, like an animal. And there is no third option. A person serves either Allah or Iblis. While it's impossible for a person not to serve, 
Meanwhile, this life flies by very quickly. Not without reason, in the Quran, this life is repeatedly called dream and amusement, careless vanity. In order to be certain of how quickly it flies by, you should just recall how your entire previous life, before this moment, has flown by. So the rest of it will fly by just as fast. There will be no slowdown of time. On the contrary, and none of the mortal ones may know how much time is still left. That's why every second is so precious, being a gift of Allah the Almighty and an opportunity given to a human, so that he would have time to prove to Allah the Almighty that he deserves being admitted to his world, the spiritual world. Today, most people on the planet are turning as squirrels, on a wheel, in pursuit of delights of this perishable world. Someone is in a golden cage, someone is in a wooden one, but the essence doesn't change. A wheel remains a cage in which a human is turning as a squirrel. But a human being is not a squirrel. There is a particle of Allah the Almighty Himself in a human. The words of the Quran indicate this. In Surah 32, Ayat 9, it is said, Then he fashioned him and breathed into him of his spirit. This means a human is already a potential part of eternity. He just needs to confirm his choice in everyday life, his choice in favor of the spiritual nature in himself. Although in no way this prevents him from using all the worldly amenities. It just implies not to be a slave of those, not to turn possession of them into an aim of his life, but to use them as necessary without forgetting about the main goal for which this short, swiftly passing existence that a human calls life is giving to him that is, attainment of heaven. After all, precisely the attainment of heaven is the true meaning and purpose of every person's existence. Brothers and sisters, if by Allah's will you have grasped the essence of the aforesaid, then as true Muslims, share this truth with all those who surround you. For by spreading the light of the truth, we thus weaken the power of darkness. Where there is the light of knowledge, there is no place for the darkness of ignorance. May Allah the Almighty illumine all athirst hearts with the light of the truth. Brothers and sisters, today a lot depends exactly on our choice. If having understood the essence of what you've heard, you don't stay indifferent to this and feel like sharing it with those people who surround you, it's already the first step on the way to let the entire humanity know about the truly significant and joyful news that Imam Mahdi has called all the righteous people to unite under the banner of the truth. 
And if you, my brother, who is watching this now, and you, my sister, don't remain indifferent, but sincerely feel like sharing this news, it means that Mahdi hasn't come in vain, that he hasn't addressed us in vain, and that what he is doing, spreading the light of knowledge, is indeed very important. Our actions on the path of spreading this knowledge are that very road along which we are being guided to heaven. Therefore, we would like to sincerely wish every person to attain the most wonderful thing that can be, to attain heaven. May Allah the Almighty help all of us. God has created this world not for Satan, but for people, for them to be able to come here and win. Not to lose, but to win. And God has given such a chance to everyone. Well, it's human choice. It's like to prove one's love to the Almighty. Of course. And to show Him one's gratitude. Love is that very bridge which any believer should pass to reach the boundless and eternal world. Yes. Therefore, our friends, let's live with our breast open, so that Allah may live in there. The more there are of such people who don't stay indifferent to this call, the call of Mahdi, the more chances there will be that Allah the Almighty will have mercy on us. For He will see that people appreciate His mercy, appreciate His generous gift, appreciate His love for us and His care. After all, what is the call of Mahdi? What is the advent of Mahdi? What is the help of Mahdi to all people, if not the mercy of Allah, if not His care for all of us? Therefore, brothers and sisters, today, if we really consider ourselves Muslims, the words of our common beloved Prophet, peace be upon him, should become a guide for action for all of us. Because he said, Heaven is intended for the one who meets Mahdi and complies with him. Heaven is intended for the one who loves him. Heaven is intended for the one who has belief in him and accepts his imamate. 